Welcome to the Adventure Days podcast, where I show you how to travel the world and create the life that you deserve. From travel inspiration to self-improvement and more, Adventure Days has you covered. It was so great meeting you just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I love your energy, your aliveness, and uh, it's really an honor to be on your show today. So thank you, first of all. Dude, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, I'm Brendan Burns of brendanhburns.com or the Adventure Days podcast. And like Kevin was saying, I have gone through quite a transformation. Uh, if you go all the way back to my past, you'll find uh, abuse from my parents, from step parents, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, verbal abuse, you know, pretty much a, a textbook case of just an abusive childhood. And interestingly, I was in denial about it for many, many years. So when people would ask me about my past or would ask me about my childhood, I always deflected and I always told people if it was fine. Um, that was kind of like the mask that I wore. Oh, it was, yeah, it was hard, but it wasn't a big deal. And I always just sort of lived in denial about that. Um, I, I, one of the ways I coped with this was really diving into schoolwork. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm fortunate that my depression actually turned into a positive addiction of achievement. And it wound up going a little bit too far in that direction. But as I was growing up, I was getting a lot of negativity in my home, but a lot of positive reinforcement in school from teachers and from excelling there. So my first step to sort of escape that, uh, my background was I got into Cornell University and I went to college there. And I was having a lot of success. And, you know, something I didn't realize until later in my life was that I was just continuing to do these things to get the approval of other people. Because when you're not getting love or nurturing from your family, um, I sought it elsewhere and I sought it from schooling and, and achievement oriented lifestyle. So, you know, I got to Cornell University. I was doing well there. I was getting good grades. Uh, I was getting positive love and reinforcement um, in an unhealthy way because I wasn't really living my true self, but it was, okay, this is good. People are telling me I'm good. I'm going to keep doing this. And I graduated Cornell and I was accepted to the first ever class of a three-year accelerated JD MBA program, which means Cornell Law School, Cornell MBA Business School, combined five years of school into three. So... Basically, I was an achievement addict, a total junkie, and I was like willing to sacrifice whatever I could, um, including my own needs and my own wants and desires. And, you know, just as a quick aside, during undergrad, I, I spent a semester living in Barcelona, Spain, and that was like really me manifesting my true self of kind of where I am today. And we can get to that. But I was living in Spain. I had a work-life balance. I wasn't working 20 hours a day to get the approval of other people like I was at Cornell. And I remember I came back from Barcelona for, uh, for after the semester abroad. And my family and my grandmother specifically asked me, oh, how was your semester abroad? I said, oh, my God, the Spaniards, they take siestas, they have families, they have work-life balance. Um, I love it. I want to move to Europe. I want to become a language major. I want This is what I want to do. I want to teach. I want to travel. And my grandma immediately shot it down. She says, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to monetize that? 
um, stay in finance, go to Wall Street, boom, boom, boom. And again, like you had this like dichotomy of like who I really am and what I wanted. And then this like achievement oriented model about, you know, success rather than fulfillment. So, you know, that was just interesting. And then, so I continued with my JD MBA program, got my law degree, got my MBA, had three Ivy League degrees by the time I was 25, um, went, to, went to Wall Street, um, got a job at a prestigious investment bank, making a quarter of a million dollars a year, making more than both my parents combined uh, at 25. And and just stacking on achievement after achievement. Like, so the job, the law degree, had a girlfriend, personal trainer, fancy apartment. And deep down, like there was so much covering up my reality. There were so many layers blocking me from like my true self and my feelings that if you went all the way down, you would find a deeply depressed, scared, unhappy person. But I stacked, you know, like hedonistic item after hedonistic item of uh, travel and expensive meals and resume box checking that I was like living in this real days. Um, but I think like all bubbles do, mine popped when I was, you know, one year later when um, uh, a long-term relationship came to a quick end and I realized I was being abusive for the first time in my life introduced to that term. Uh, my brother got very sick. He's okay now, but that happened. And the job that I was working at, which is really how I identified who I was as a person, uh, they were about to fire me as well. So all these things blew up in my face. And I'm so grateful because those things really triggered my journey and my awareness and, you know, everything that's happened up until now. That's insane. <laughs> and you hit on, I want to I say, like, you hit on one of the, you learned it. The, one of the biggest things is that achievement doesn't bring fulfillment. Because yeah. you kept trying to chase it and chase it and chase it and chase it and you were empty inside. And yeah. um, because it's that quick sugar high, right? Of like, boom, you did this thing. Okay, now what? Fuck, I got to do another thing, <laughs> right? Um, and I've been down that rabbit hole too, but uh, that's insane that you discovered that, number one. But then also, just like you said, you were grateful for all that stuff blowing up in your face because it helped you to look in the mirror. So, and, and say, okay, what am I? You looked at yourself, Matt takes courage number one so i applaud you for that and it takes courage to look yourself in the mirror with no filter and go what's actually happening and you're looking at the good and looking at the bad and all that stuff um and that's where real change happens i believe yeah, yeah. no totally i mean that all the like you know the best things that have ever happened to me in my life have been the the worst things you know on paper or on the surface like the breakup losing my job uh, my brother getting sick those things like put me put me in such a deep dark place where I needed to find answers and I found self improvement personal growth and uh, you know these books and like I found um, the first book that I ever read is called the emotionally abusive relationship and not the first book I ever read but the first you know self help book. And what that taught me was that I came from a very abusive background. My parents were abusive towards me. I had been repeating those patterns in a relationship. And uh, I fell in love with the book. I fell in love with this whole concept of, okay, I can fix these things 
And the author of the book was living in in a remote city in Texas at the time. And she was a pretty well-known author. She was a top-selling Amazon author with like 12 books, uh, TV appearances, but I could barely even find her website. And, but I really felt the connection. I felt like I needed to get in touch with this woman. Like I felt Uh like I had read a bunch of books on abuse and they were not that they shouldn't be, but most of them were geared towards women saying how to get out of the relationship. Very few, if any, were geared towards, Oh, the man is being abusive. He's, you know, how how can, how can I stop being abusive? Most of them are helping women get out of the relationship, which that's awesome. But uh, what about the men who, who are being abusive and want to stop? Um, And her book was about that. So I felt this like deep connection to her and her work and on her website, which was like, it looked like a MySpace page all the, <laughs> like all the way at the bottom. There like, it was an asterisk. And it says like, if you want to talk to Beverly, uh, mail a check for $60 to this PO box in San Marcos, Texas. And in the memo line of the check, put your email address and she'll get back to you and blah, blah, blah. So I'm sitting there, this was at my old job in investment banking when everyone had cleared out for the day and I was doing my journaling and I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to send this check like percent <laughs> chance. She's not going to get back to me. 1% like she'll change my life. And fast forward three years later, I talked to her once a week on the phone. She has guided me through every issue imaginable and is my personal coach. That's insane right there. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's incredible this goes yeah. to show you like trust your intuition right because you were just mm-hmm. like i'm gonna chance it and you know yeah then i mean you yeah you never know and and i just felt like a connection to her work and uh she ultimately emailed me back obviously and we started yeah. talking and it was really really painful at first and really new and different and it triggered um i mean i i'm a huge advocate for making big changes in in your in people's lives as necessary she taught me uh so much about my life and she just like i almost the analogy would be just like an onion where like layers and layers are coming yeah. off okay, this, like, and then she saw that I had some trauma from my past and I had PTSD. So then like I went to a PTSD specialist and then she saw that I had compulsive behaviors. So I saw an addiction specialist and it's just like all these layers. And it was just like, that was the core of where it all started for me. And I'm uh, really blessed to have found her. That's awesome, man. So tell, I, I know we talked a little bit about it before we jumped on the actual podcast, but what would you say that you have mastered in life? Because we all are masters of something. I very, I believe that very strongly. But what do you feel that you've overcome, that you've mastered? Yeah, I, I think it's... Uh... I've mastered the ability to uh, take uh, ownership and empowerment and control over my own life and, and lifestyle and life design. So the big thing that I've been able to do in my life is rather than make excuses and say how hard it is, like I ripped off the bandaid. I tell people that I was wearing golden handcuffs when I worked on wall street because (laughs) uh, you know, as, as miserable as it was, like I had a guy, guy I sat next to, um, I used to work at a big investment bank and there was a guy, really nice guy who sat next to me. He was like 24 years old, recent graduate from the university of Pennsylvania. And, um, he was probably making, you know, he was making a ton of money, but he was so depressed and miserable. And one night 
at around 10.30 in the evening, we, he and I both got an email from our uh, boss saying, you know, where are you guys? It's only 10.30. Brendan, you better not have gone home yet. We need all hands on deck tonight. You know, this is like Wall Street, uh, as cliche as it can get. And yeah. so I come down, I was upstairs on the 64th floor of the building that we worked in. And I, that was three floors above where we sat because I was up there with flashcards trying to interview prep to get the hell out of there. Cause I, I hated this company and I needed to get out. Um, I see the email and I'm like, crap, I'm all right. I'm, I'm going back downstairs. So I go down to 61 where we sat and this guy, uh, my peer is, looks like he's having a heart attack. And he passed out on the floor. Everyone was surrounding him. It was only 10.30 p.m., so naturally the whole team was still there. And he luckily still had his heartbeat, um, but he was, like, seizing. It was, like, a seizure, stress-induced. Uh, a stretcher came onto the 61st floor and carted the guy off. HR came in. We had this HR woman come in from home to call his parents to drive up from Delaware and I'll never forget, uh, our boss turned to me and said, here's all the work to do. I'm going to go to the hospital. You better not go anywhere. Wow. And I sat there um, from like 11 p.m. till 3 a.m. And I guarantee you, I did not do any work. I got right onto LinkedIn and I was like finding jobs. And I was like, <laughs> apply, apply, apply. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. And, and, you know, fortunately this guy made it and he had a full recovery and it was fine. Um, but, you know, sadly in my following job, I worked at a hedge fund on wall street for three years. Um, I was at the bank for one year and then at, at the hedge fund for three. So four years total on wall street. And in that second job, um, actually a guy did pass away. Um, and I don't want to, by any means blame it on the, on the job because this guy um, had a history of problems with drugs. Um, but you know, this is like the environment that I was working in. And at the time, you know, I, I was just making a lot of excuses and, you know, big, big words that showed up in my vocabulary are I can't, or I should, um, you know, and, and it's like when people talk about turning those shoulds into musts, um, that's a big thing that I spent years working through um, and, and I've been able to, I was obviously able to leave wall street to start my own business. Um, you know, a lot of things that I'm very passionate about that I teach other people how to do, um, that if you ask me what I've mastered, it's the ability to stand up for myself, learning how to say no, learning how to make big decisions in your life and really like learning how to put yourself first. Because I think a lot of people live their lives for what, uh, other people think of them for what their parents think they should do, for what society thinks they should do. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people come to me um, and they just start with their problems. I'm like, all right, what's going on in your life? And it's like, oh, my boyfriend, this or that, he's not treating you right. Uh, my job sucks. My fam my mom is manipulating me, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, 99% of this has to do with saying no, standing up for yourself, making a change, um, stepping up. And for the most part, like you start peeling back those layers and you realize people are afraid to put themselves first. They're afraid of what other people yeah. think of them. Very common threads that I'm sure you see as well. Yeah. So um, I know a lot of people who are in that situation and I used to be in that situation where I wouldn't stand up for myself. Yeah. Um, I was being abused by my friends, like mm -hmm. making fun of me, but I still hung around them because they were, I, I thought they were my friends. 
Yeah. They were picking on me and they paid attention to me. Like, you know what I mean? So it took me years to get out of that and finally stand up for myself. But what do you tell your clients or people that you work with? How can people stand up for themselves? Because and I want to say this and I want to preface it. I didn't want to stand up for myself because I didn't want to lose them as friends mm-hmm. because there was time, there was times where they were my really good friends, but then yeah. they also picked on me and made fun of me. Yeah. Right. I didn't want to lose that because I, they were my only friends. Number one, mm-hmm. there was a lot of uncertainty in the future. And number two, I was looking to, I was a people pleaser. I, and I, I'm a love bug. I didn't want to hurt them by like standing up for myself. Like I didn't want to say, look, we can't do this anymore. Or like, I can't freaking be around you guys. This is sucks. Like I didn't want to hurt them um, or anybody else. And so I just accepted it. Right. And I just like, let it happen. Mm-hmm. And I took the back seat. Um, yep. And so one day I got super pissed off and I didn't, but how did, how, or how do you coach your clients through it? And what would you say to somebody who's maybe in that situation, not just with friends, but maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's with a business or, a, you know, the boss, whatever. Yeah, no, that's an awesome, awesome question. And uh, I, I've been there too with my friends, with my family, with people at work. And the first thing, it's kind of like a two pronged approach that I teach. And the first prong is uh, people who aren't treating you right. Um, some of them actually small tweaks can actually get them to treat you well. And they actually can, you can have a healthy relationship with some of those people. And what I tell people is, and I learned this from my own mistake, which was anyone who like didn't treat me amazingly. I just immediately cut them out of my life. Sometimes no explanation. I just said, no, you know, they looked at me the wrong way. They don't belong in my, you know, close group of friends. And I went way too far to the other side of the pendulum And then I started realizing that I was alone because nobody's perfect. And that if I cut out anyone for the smallest issues, um, that it's not going to work out long-term. So for example, um, you know, I had uh, a friend. So, so instead what, what I say to do first is you talk to that person and, um, and it's a way to really stand up for yourself and empower yourself. And, um, there's a guy who I know, from uh i went on a group trip with him to the middle east that was really fun and he's a really cool guy very smart very engaged with community activities we actually started a peer-led group in new york together and a really neat guy um who just has personal issues from his past and what he was doing was due to his insecurities he was very quick to put other people down and Mm. He found something about me that he didn't like, and it became like a regular thing of, you know, he was going to make fun of me for this. And uh, so what happened was I, we were at some event, basically it was my age because I'm, uh, I'm 30 now. So I'm, uh, I'm no longer a spring chicken. And (laughs) and we were at um, some museum and uh, for our peer led group. And he, and he was like maybe 25 and I was probably 29 and other people were probably early twenties. And, uh, I made a joke about using my student ID and he just like whipped back at me and he like called me something like grandpa or just like, a mean, you know, like calling me old. And it was just, I had had enough of it. Like it was like the 10th time he said something and it was really pissing me off. And what I said to him was like, well, so what I did was, I took a deep breath. I calmed myself down first because you want to always like lead, go from the heart and not from an emotional right. reaction. But I, uh, I knew he had gone downstairs. I followed him downstairs 
Uh, I asked if I could talk to him. It, it was really important that I did a couple things. Uh, first, I got my feet like really grounded and I got really centered inside myself. Um, and number two is I made like real deep eye contact and like had a real connection with this guy before. Like, I didn't want to snap back at him. I wanted him to like be looking me right in the eyes and like hear me from my heart. And I said, Hey man, um, you know, I noticed you called me old again. I know you probably didn't mean anything by it, but it really, and like, but I couldn't even finish my sentence. He'd already like his whole state changed. He didn't even realize he was doing it. He was apologizing to me profusely, said he was so embarrassed, said it was never going to happen again. It, it was just like, it was like, I couldn't even uh, finish my sentence because I think on a deep level, he knew he was doing something wrong. Uh, right. And back and he got confronted about it in a mature way. Um, he's never done it since we're very good friends. Uh, he's been treating me only fantastically. And I think he treats other people better too. Cause he's now aware of, yeah. 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 And we've had some great heart to hearts and he, uh, he's in therapy now. I think everyone, you know, would benefit from therapy or a coach and he's just made some awesome progress. So, so that's like prong one is, you know, address it, face it head on, because I think most people will are fair and either don't realize what's happening or will hear you out. Um, now the second prong, uh, is basically do the same thing, but some people aren't going to listen to you and they're not going to change. And that's usually a reflection of they're so lost or they're in so much pain or they're so deep. Their, their patterns are like, you know, they're either they're older or they had an even more traumatic past or heavier insecurities where, um, you talk to them about it. Um, they say they will change or they don't, but either way they don't change. And that's when I tell people like, okay, you need to find other people. And I think usually it's a combination. Like for me, I've had certain people, um, I've had many people who I've, I've spoken to about and I've said, look, you know, this is what needs to change for us to be friends. And they've done it. And they've like, I had a guy who used to show up late all the time for meetings with me. And, uh, again, like probably you in the past, like I used to just let people show up whenever walk all over me. Um, and I talked to him about it. I looked him in the eye, same thing. He, he and I are both early to every meeting we have that. So it's, we're, we're, <laughs> so it just comes down to uh, converse, uh, communication with it. But what if the communication leads to like, maybe for example, somebody who's in a relationship mm-hmm. and they know they, they shouldn't be. Right. Yeah. But then they're like, how do they break that? And yeah. just say, look, like, no, when you're such a people pleaser. Yeah, no, that, so that's prong two, which is what do you do when the person can't, you know, make the adjustment? They, they just, they don't meet your needs because it's really important to have high standards for relationships and friends. And yeah. if you're with someone who can't meet your needs and I learned the hard way that both my parents can't meet my needs and I've had to go very low contact with them. And that's very unfortunate, but it's very healthy that I've done that. And for the people pleaser, I think the most important things are persistence in yourself and patience and practice. I guess I should pad that, the three Ps. (laughs) Uh, Because, uh, no, realistically, what it comes down to is boundary setting, learning how to say no, learning how to stay firm, dealing with guilt around it. I think, um, you know, when you think about our core emotions of anger, fear, sadness, shame, and guilt, I think uh, shame and guilt, for me, at least show up a ton. So it's like 
the the classic people pleaser uh, takes on feelings of other people and thinks it's his or her responsibility for other people to be happy. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mind yeah. blown. No, it's psychology. So it's uh, so what you have to do is first you have to be aware. Okay, I'm taking on this uh, this like it's very common for people in relationships, like you said, yeah. to stay with someone else and they say no, but, but I love them or, but he's good to me in so many other ways. Um, but you know, by the, yeah. So, um, what I've done a lot, I have a lot of exercises that are very effective that I've done and that I teach other people how to do. One is, um, you know, I have this saying no exercise where I will set up two chairs in my apartment and I'll sit in one and I'll envision the other person in the other chair. And then I'll actually go into that other chair and role play as them um, and they'll, and, you know, use the counters and the objections and the, and the butts. Um, I'll stand up, I'll walk around my apartment, envisioning myself saying no. Um, you know, it's, it's all, I think it's a lot of practice because for me personally, I've gotten so much better at it over time. And, you know, one of the other things that I used to do, um, I didn't realize this until later in my life, but most people when they're lying, maybe not always, but it's very common that people are lying in a people-pleasing way. Um, what I did, for example, was if there was someone that I couldn't say no to, I would lie about it and say, oh, I'm tied up that weekend. Even right. though, yeah. And then the problem with that is, one, you're, you're probably going to get caught in that lie. And, and two, you're, gonna, you're basically inviting that person to invite you to more stuff. So it's like... It, yeah, and, and you're lying to yourself. It's going to kill your integrity. Exactly. Yeah, your word, your your integrity, yeah. how you feel about yourself. So, um, you know, there are, yeah, it's like there's there's some people, especially as my business has taken off. Like I just crossed 70K on Instagram yesterday. So nice. <laughs> Thank Good you. Enough. I just crossed 26, so I'm on my way. Nice. <laughs> yes, man. Yeah, and that's like another uh, aspect of my business. I'm not as passionate about it, but I do some business and social media coaching, but, uh, but this stuff really fires me up and the saying no. And like, like I was saying, like having all these followers now, a lot of my older friends now reach out to me and want to hang out. And, um, you know, I've openly told certain of them who, uh, some of them do hard drugs. Some of them are on wall street and like, I have a no tolerance for any of that stuff. So I've had to go no contact. I've had to block people. I've had to just, you know, mm -hmm. shut them out. And um, that's for the very, very small percentage of people you've spoken to. They won't change. You tell them no, and they still keep harassing you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. So, yeah. How would, I mean, you, you share the how of this, how to say, to structure the conversations and you gave an overview, but I'm just curious how do you get to the initial starting of it? Like how does, how does one go from, I need to have this conversation to actually doing it when they're scared out of their mind? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great question. I think, like you said, the first step is identifying it. And I think most people are stuck so far back that they don't even realize, you know, what in their life is healthy versus what's unhealthy. So yeah. I'm always like a big fan of just getting people like anyone who's listening to this podcast, you're in the right place. You're in great hands with Kevin because just having this awareness of, okay, we're even talking about the idea of my relationship might be totally toxic or I might be getting trampled over by friends or family or people just not treating me right. Like a good example is my aunt on my dad's side 
who, because of her unhealthy relationship with her mother, my grandmother, um, became a people pleaser. And then she came to me one time and she's like, oh, Brendan, I need your help. Um, I have this friend of mine who won't talk to me and is treating me terribly. So like step one, okay, that's awareness. And then I think, you know, obviously step two is how do you get to that point where you can talk to them about it and set healthy boundaries. And, you know, I think like most things in life, there's no quick fix. It just depends on how, um, how much strength or, you know, how ready you are to do it. Because in that situation, she had a friend who was manipulating her, not treating her properly. And the ideal situation would have been to reach out and, and say, you know, uh, look, the way you're treating me is totally inappropriate. If you ever want a friendship again with me, you will call me right now and we will discuss this. But I think more realistically, it, it takes time. Um, and it's like conditioned response and pattern reinforcement. And what I mean by that is in that particular situation, my aunt has this friend who she's had for many, many years. And uh, what happened was, uh, you know, the, for the, the human psychological needs of like certainty, uncertainty, significance, love, connection. So that woman, my aunt's friend, was operating from significance. And when she felt powerless in her life, her pattern was to shut out my aunt and go no contact with my aunt and mistreat my aunt as a way to feel powerful in her own life. And then when she was done having that ego trip, she'd call my aunt, uh, give her a fake apology, be like, okay, I'm ready to be friends again. And, and so I think, you know, if you go back to what I said earlier, like, okay, having the conversation, but the conversation is not going to do it. What's going to do it is over time, very clearly showing that it's totally unacceptable to do that because I'm not going to be there next time. And, you know, if you ditch me like that again, I'm gone. And that's very common in relationships too. The thing is like, you'll see men or women in relationships very often knowing that um, their partner is a people pleaser and they'll go have an affair or they'll go stray or even an emotional affair. And they know that when they get back, their partner will be there. And as a result, they continue that behavior. So it's like you have to teach people what you're willing to allow and what, more importantly, what you're willing to not allow. And over time, you know, it's like if a guy does that, uh, if a guy strays and then tries to come back to the woman, the woman's gone. Or, the, you know, like you just can't, it, a lot of it just comes down to like actions speaking louder than words in certain instances where you, you make it very clear. Like if it's a friend, for example, and he does something inappropriate with you, doesn't treat you right, not only do you say something, but you back it up and you say, hey, you know, I'm not talking to you, you know, we need a cooling off period. I'm not sure we can be friends the way you treated me again. And I'm a big believer in second chances, but I'm not a big believer in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chances. Yeah. So it's, it's just essentially standing up for yourself. Yeah. And all of it. I freaking love it. Because, yeah, you need to, to have that. And I think, too, maybe I'm wrong, but some people have this aura about them. I used to have this aura where it was like, pick on me. Like Mm -hmm. I almost drew those people to me. And now since I've done so much work on myself, I give off the energy of like, you don't want to fuck with me. (laughs) And so people have it anymore. You know, like they don't, I don't get that same negativity anymore. I don't have to sit down and have these conversations because Mm -hmm. I'm just, I I shifted my identity and how I operate and how the energy that I bring to the table. Oh, dude. And I totally feel that from your energy. Like when we met at that conference a few weeks ago, like I, I, I knew who you were before you even told me. Like, really? 
Yeah, the way you walk around, the way your posture, like it was obvious to me that you were had some fitness element to yourself. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I could just tell from your gait, from your body, from your syntax. Mm. I was like, this guy doesn't let people fuck with him. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if we can curse on you. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> um, wow, I, okay. And, and I and I really, really respect that in you. And I really feel like that's totally true. Like you know, one interesting thing is I used to have chronic neck pain and my emotions and the way I felt about myself led to this hunch over. And then because my posture was like that, you know, every inch forward, your cervical spine has to carry another 10 pounds on it. So what happened was the emotion led to the physical and led to the, and, and when people are standing like that, obviously you're going to attract people who want to be in control and push you around. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. So just you, you change your life, change your posture, and then boom, it's over. And that's oh, the yeah. thing. Like, that's crazy that you mentioned that because I didn't even know I was – I knew I was giving off that aura, but it's crazy that you, you saw it and to hear it from somebody else other than me. That's really cool. Yeah. No, I, I mean, totally. Like, I, I just – the way you were walking around, I could just tell. Like, not only were you, like, in shape, a, a fitness master, but you, I just – like the way you walk emits this concept of I know which direction I'm going in and you're not going to stop me from getting there, you know? And it's just, I think that's so important because I think people, A, don't know where they're going and B, you know, if a friend tells them, Oh, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. They say, okay. But I felt like <laughs> I looked up to you and I was like, Kevin, like you're not going to start a successful business. You would just be like, get that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just like throw me to the side and keep going. And that's yeah. what you have and what I have and what it takes to be successful. Yeah, that's awesome. And it comes, and you know, to, for all the viewers going, okay, how do I get to that? Uh, yeah. I do want to say really quick is like, that's what I teach people to, to do. I, have, I teach people how to have more confidence, how to create that identity shift, how to use your body differently. Um, because I, I have gone, I was a very similar story to you. That's why we're, you know, talking. Cause like I was the kid that got picked on all the time, super shy. Like, you know, I just, I just to myself, I didn't, I was the walking around with no purpose type person. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and now it's too, I freaking am. And so making that identity shift is so crucial to not just to, to block out all that negativity because they, they'll see it. And it's all a subconscious thing too right like people don't go oh i'm gonna go talk to that guy so i can pick on him because he's slunched over and shit like it's just a snap everything is energy and it's just this natural attraction that happens yeah so yeah yeah that's that's awesome awesome. yeah totally Um, yeah yeah. so i guess really quick what would you say and we're gonna leave on this note um how did you keep your fire alive how did you not give up and keep going when things were really tough? It's a great question. I think that uh, one, one of the things that has helped me tremendously in my life, not giving up, pushing through, getting to the next level in all areas of my life comes down to surrounding myself with the right people. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Jim Rohn, a former self-improvement speaker, who said, you're the, you're the average of the five people you spend your most time with. Yes. And, and I, and I couldn't believe in that uh, more because if you hang out with people who have these desk jobs and they make, you know, hundred K a year and they're content and they go to happy hours and they're chubby, you're going to become that in, in many ways. It's going to rub off on you. It's a osmosis. 
But if you hang out with people like you and like other people who invest in themselves and they're building their own businesses, you're going to get to seven, eight figures. You're going to be totally empowered. You're going to be doing whatever you want all day, every day. And for me, what I've done is I've cultivated this network of people who are so strong, who are so powerful, who are so determined, who don't give up. And I have this support system where if I'm having a bad day, like I woke up today, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I just launched uh, marketing for a new course, that an online course that I'm selling. And, you know, I wake up today and I have five people texting me, how were your conversions on your landing page yesterday? You know, that, that's, those are five entrepreneurs in New York City who have six or seven figure businesses who are checking in and holding me accountable to my wow. business. And what am I going to do? I'm going to wake up and I'm going to make sure my conversions are killing it. So I'm making money so I can be in a mastermind with these guys and they can push me to the next level. It's like when I was, uh, when I went to school at Cornell, we would play pickup basketball and there were always two courts. And there was one court, which had the guys who were just kind of hanging out. They didn't want to, you know, overdo it. They just wanted to shoot around. And then you had the second court and it was guys on the football team, guys, even from the basketball team, if it was out of season, we're playing. And I'd be the short, I'm six foot tall and I'd be the shortest guy in the court. And that's how you get better at basketball. You play with guys who are playing in college, you know, like, and that's just how I've been able to improve. Like, you know, I have a coach, I have multiple coaches, mentors, uh, therapists, you know, you surround yourself with these people. You know, if you're watching this right now, get in touch with Kevin, you surround yourself with people like Kevin, that's how you grow. Yeah, definitely. I could not agree more. It took me years to understand that, to not just hear it, but understand it and do it. And everything that we've talked about, I think can uh, help people. They they have the tools now to stand up for themselves, to create a better friend circle, which will eventually level up your life. So thank you for being on the podcast, dude. I, this conversation was very helpful to me, hopefully to everybody else. Um, I know I'm going to leave links for everybody uh, down below in the comments or up above or wherever the hell it's going to be. Um, so they can reach out to you if they have any other questions. Uh, but again, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your story and the tips that you brought to the table. I really do appreciate you, man. No, it's my pleasure, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Adventure Days podcast. You can see more at AdventureDays.com, D-A-Z-E, or directly in the podcast app. Thanks again and have a great day.